Hey, morning friends. Great to see you. Um, I'm Matt, if you don't know me, one of the pastors here at Essex Alliance Church. And um, you know, uh, Night to Shine was last week and the video cam put together of the recap of the night was just so good. We wanted to show it to you guys again to celebrate. So uh, take a look at the screen. So our team's been planning for about four months now. So many people come for this one special night. This is my favorite event of the year. When you watched our guests come in on the red carpet. We have been working for the last three days to get everything ready and prepped. There's fresh fruit platters, there's fresh cheese platters. Everybody's role is so significant to the success of this night. Today, we're putting all the finishing touches on, getting all our fixtures in place. There is a huge amount of logistics involved with this. Everything from the people, the guests, our volunteer staff, which is almost in the 400s. Every step of the way, every person they interact with is gonna make their night amazing. Scott, Scott, I'm Chris. Nice to meet you, I'm your buddy. Head up the hair and makeup and the two shine, they'd love to see you up there. Excited for tonight? Yeah. Beautiful. How is that looking? Beautiful. Beautiful? You're all ready to dance the night away now. Well done. All right, we're moonwalking. Look at this. Here, what do we think of that? Thumbs up. We like it. Awesome. How do you like your shoes? Oh my goodness. Jesse. So handsome. Look at these shoes. Ten times shinier than mine. You see your reflection. Are we going to just curl? And what do you want Nicole to do? What do you want for your makeup? You want Can I a little bit of shoes? You want just shoes? Okay. To the limo. To the limo. And I'm going to put sparkles in, if that's okay, okay. with you. We're going to do the works for you. <laughs> she loves it. The more, the better. to God, but you matter to us.
have two young adult sons, uh, Adam and Sam. They both have special needs. Once we told Adam what was happening, that he was going to go to a prom, that's all I talked about. Just that hugs and friendship that we don't always get when we're out in public with other people. Just to see our guests come in and see the enjoyment that they know this night is just for them. So everyone who came here tonight is valuable. God loves them and we love them and that's why we do this. To bring love, to bring excitement, just to see the joy on their faces, knowing that this night is for them. And just come here and dance the night away and, and uh, feel the presence of, of the Lord um, in their lives. We're getting nothing out of this, nothing in return, other than the joy of seeing it happen. Uh, and that's what the love of God is. It's what we've been given, we are to give freely. Um, and that's what this night is all about. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you all who participated. Thank you all who are giving um, through the envelopes or online or however you're doing it. Uh, this is something we go above and beyond for. And you guys have been so faithful year after year in going above and beyond to make sure Night to Shine can be as awesome as it can be. So uh, thank you guys. We wanted to just say thanks again for participating through your volunteering, through your giving and making this happen and so many other really important ministries. So thank you for that. Ushers, come on down. We'll take the offering. And as they do, I have to mention just a couple other things before we get into uh, this morning's message. Uh, number one is that uh, today is the annual meeting. So uh, last week we had a financial info meeting after church. This week is the annual meeting where our voting membership. Uh, you get to vote and um, on different things, uh, elders and governing board and, and all that kind of stuff. So if you are a voting member of Essex Alliance Church, I, it will direct you uh, after service to head downstairs to rooms 204, 206. That's the stairs right by the info desk and you kind of snake around to the left once you get down there. And in that room, that's where you can cast your vote and all that. And we've got some of our staff and key people down there to answer questions, provide information, all that fun stuff. If you're not a voting member, you can still go down and have a conversation, ask any questions you want, go for it. But also let me direct you, uh, in the lobby here, we have our annual report. This is just a, an overview of all the things and ministries and stuff that's taken place over the last year. And it's got some really great information, a lot of encouragement and things you guys have made happen and you've been a part of. So I'd encourage you also, grab one of these, take a look at it and, um, and we can celebrate the last year of ministry together and look ahead to the next year of ministry as well. And I'll just throw that over there. Um, <clears throat> and finally, uh, with the election of new elders and governing board members and all that comes the uh, exit of uh, elders and governing board members who 
have termed out and are uh, off those boards now after years of serving faithfully you guys, this church, and helping us to function well spiritually and in the whole, all the business of the church. Long meetings about finances and this and that, and uh, give their time, energy, and prayer to making sure that Essex Alliance, that we are healthy and we are on the right track. So um, I'm not sure if these guys are in the room right now, but we have four outgoing uh, members of those boards. I just want to acknowledge so if I say your name and you're in here, please stand up and we're going we're gonna to thank you for, for how you've served the church. Uh, that's Rob Lavasser, Steve Quiet, Gordon Kelly, and John Anderson, our outgoing uh, officers. So if you're here, mm, <laughs> well, we can thank them anyway. Let's thank them. We know you're, we know you're hearing us. Somewhere, wherever you are, yeah. Uh, thank you, thanks to those guys. If you see them, make sure to, to say thanks uh, today or in the coming weeks. So, all right, let's get into it. Let me start this morning with a verse from the book of Philippians, which um, uh, some of you are probably familiar with, uh, these verses that Paul writes in Philippians 4. It says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, When I was in my early college years, 19, 20 years old, excuse me, my church in Connecticut, went through this big prayer initiative as a whole church. We were going to do a bunch of different things. And one of the ways that we were going to commit to prayer and uh, moving forward as a church was to build and uh, operate a 24-hour prayer room in the church building. And um, this changed the landscape of our whole church Part of the commitment of this prayer room was that we were hoping that every hour of every day would be covered in prayer. Someone would be in that prayer room praying or at home praying along as well. And we came close. I'm happy to say our church had come close, but we didn't quite, I don't think, got all the slots filled at that time when I was still there. Um, Some of our young adult college ministry leaders at the time thought it would be a really good idea to sign up for a weekly slot from midnight to 3 a.m. on Thursdays. And uh, they caught this vision and said, we'll take that overnight shift. And um, I, the invite and hope was there from our leaders that, that our group, uh, the college young adult kind of crew at the church, would have some representation there every Thursday night from midnight to 3 a.m. And we were all invited to be a part of that and, uh, and be there and spend that time in prayer. And when it all started, I remember thinking... Three hours every week, what the heck are we going to have to pray for for that amount of time, for three hours at a block, and then doing that every week? Man, now we're going to run out of stuff to pray for. So I had this thought like, oh, we'll pray for a little bit, and then we'll just kind of hang out, be there, have a space to, you know, to spend together. And uh, boy, was I wrong about that. Man, I showed up that first week that I went, and three hours flew by in prayer. The next week showed up again, three hours, flew by. The next week we did a, like a, we went out at 1 a.m. and did like a, a whole prayer walk around the church campus uh, for a couple hours in the middle of the night. And week after week, three hours in the middle of the night, we never ran out of prayer. 
It was honestly life-changing for myself and a lot of people who were a part of that um, initiative. And my skepticism ahead of time, I have to admit, about how much time prayer would fill and what, uh, what we would pray for came from a narrow view, a misunderstanding of what prayer is, how it works, and how we do it, and... So my question is, how do we define prayer? How would you define prayer? Seems like a simple question, simple enough. Most of us who have uh, been a part of the church or, you know, followed Jesus for any number length of time probably understand, yeah, prayer, I kind of get that, I understand it, but kind of putting the meaning into words can be difficult. I think a lot of us would define prayer in a very simple way and say something like, well, prayer, prayer is talking to God and simple understanding. But even with that comes questions like, what does that mean to talk to God? Does he talk back? Can you hear him? Does he hear every word we say? Do we have to go through some sort of ritual or say, uh, you know, certain prayers the right way? Um, uh, how do we do it? It's... And it's a more complicated question, I think, than we might realize, putting the meaning of prayer into words. You know, on my bookshelf, this is just my shelf, I counted this week, I have nine books dedicated to, this, to the subject of prayer, specifically des, uh, dedicated to prayer. And that's not to mention all the other books I have about uh, systematic theology and commentaries and other books that have chapters or sections dedicated to prayer as well. And I don't have a big library, but uh, that's a lot of books for what seems like a pretty simple subject. Not to mention prayer is sort of a a universal or ubiquitous experience. um, Everyone, I think, has prayed in some way. Most religious and cultural traditions, prayer is kind of a part or central piece of those traditions. Protestants pray, Catholics pray, Jews pray, Muslims pray, Hindus and Buddhists and cults and ancestor worshipers, and and even atheists will throw up a prayer from time to time. If you listen close, you can hear it. They say things like, oh, God, (laughs) you know, (laughs) or uh, really desperate situations you might hear like, God, if you're listening, would you just, if you're there, people pray. It's a universal experience across a lot of different traditions, and that makes, I think, defining prayer a little complicated. Even if we focus in our own tradition, Christianity, prayer can be a little complicated. Let me give you some facts about prayer in the Bible. These are just facts, some things that I've, I learned this week as I was doing a little research. Um, here's some facts about prayer. In the Bible, there are 600 over 650 recorded prayers. So uh, Genesis to Revelation, 650 times someone is recorded praying. Uh, There are 450 times that God answers a prayer in the Bible. First time that prayer happens in the Bible is Genesis 4.26. Four chapters in is the first mention of prayer. In the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these stories about Jesus' life and ministry, Jesus prayed 25 times he prays. Paul, in his letters, he writes 13 of our New Testament books. He mentions prayer 41 times. The Bible mentions five different physical postures for prayer. Five different postures. Sitting, standing, kneeling, Bowed down with your face on the ground and uh, hands in the air. Five different postures. And the Bible mentions categorically nine different types of prayer. Nine categories of prayer. 
uh, prayer of faith, prayer of agreement, that's sort of corporate prayer, agreeing together, prayer of request or supplication is another word used in the Bible, prayer of thanksgiving, prayer of worship, prayer of consecration or dedication, prayer of intercession, praying on behalf of someone else. Prayer of imprecation, which is basically praying uh, for God to curse somebody. I hope you don't practice that one much. And uh, prayer in the spirit, nine categories the Bible specifically mentions, not to mention uh, tons of other types of prayers that aren't categorically mentioned, like repentance or healing, things like that. So what is prayer? We're going to try to define it a little bit this morning and have a conversation about it. What we're not going to talk about today is, um, does prayer work? We're going to go with, yes, prayer works, okay? Just putting it out there. We're not going to talk about different types of prayer and get into that. And we're not going to talk about sort of how you pray, the mechanism of prayer. Next week, we'll be back. We'll talk more about that and what prayer looks like and how to do it. And uh, so you got to come back for part two if you want to know that stuff. A little plug for next week, but today what we're going to do is we're going to focus in on our own hearts. What does prayer mean? Why do we do it? So that when we do pray, whatever form that takes or whatever it looks like, we pray like we mean it. So I'm actually going to start with my basic definition of prayer. This is my definition, and as we go this morning and talk about some things, we'll kind of expand it, adjust it a little bit as we talk. So here's my definition of prayer. This is Pastor Matt's definition of prayer. Prayer is conversation and encounter with the living God. Reverend Tim Keller, the late Reverend Tim Keller, who some of you might know his name, he's pastor of Res- uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church, New York City, author, theologian. Uh, he, in his book about prayer, which he appropriately titles Prayer, he uh, highlights these two themes about prayer. That prayer is conversation, but it's also encounter. It's actually meeting with God, not just talking out into the void or talking at him, hoping he hears. God is the direction in which our prayers go. He's kind of, God's the goal we're reaching for when we pray. So naturally, what we believe about God is going to affect what we believe about prayer. Who we believe God is affects how we view our relationship to him and Prayer is all mixed into that as well. So what we believe about God affects why and how and what we pray. Uh, A couple months ago, I was preaching, and I gave a message uh, about radical hospitality. If you don't remember it, you weren't here, no worries. You might remember, I showed off some of my graphic design skills that day with uh, a couple slides I made. And um, if you were really impressed by those, boy, do I have a treat for you today. So uh, here's another example of my epic graphic design skills. Microsoft Word is very handy. Uh, So uh, how you view God is going to determine what you believe about your relationship to him and what prayer is. So let uh, let me give some examples here. You can throw up the next slide. So for instance, if you believe that God is not real, if he doesn't exist, 
then you are on your own. You're autonomous. You can make whatever decisions you want. There's no moral authority in the universe. So prayer then is, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Or at uh, the very best, maybe it's a kind of a, about self-discovery, meditative exercise. Next one. If you believe God is real, but he's disinterested, he doesn't really care about the world or you, he doesn't have, you know, doesn't care what happens down here, then you are on your own. It's up to you to figure it out. So if prayer is practiced, if at all, it's a prayer without expectation. You throw up one of those, hey, if you're listening, big guy, would you just do this thing for me? Help me out. No expectation, little hope, no relationship to speak of. Let's go to the next one. If you believe God is like Santa Claus, what do I mean by this? If God is like Santa Claus, well, if God rewards you when you're good and punishes you when you're bad, gives you a lump of coal in your stocking, then you receive if you're good. If you do enough good and kind of tip your moral scales in that direction, perhaps your prayers will be answered. God will reward you for that. If that's your view of God as some sort of moralistic Santa, then prayer is simply performance-based and asking for stuff. Did I do good enough? Please give me this or help me with this. If you view God, we'll go to the next one, as some sort of vending machine a cosmic vending machine, that he exists for your benefit. So you put in your prayer tokens, you dig out the change, if you know vending machines even take change anymore, and you put in your, your prayer change and push the right buttons, then the thing you want or the thing you need will be dispensed. Prayer is about you and getting what you want from him. It's all about meeting a want or need, not much else. We'll go to the next one. This is where it gets good. If God is king, that's a biblical word. If God is king, then you are his servant. Because he's king, right? He's God, we're just people. He's king, we're his servant. It's also a biblical concept. If this is your primary view of God, then prayer is hoping to please him and receive his favor. If your primary view of your relationship with God is king and servant, then you have to view yourself naturally as unworthy to come to him. So when you do, it's a sort of hat in hand, hoping you've pleased him by following his orders and he will somehow show you his favor. Now, these are biblical words and biblical concepts. I have to acknowledge that. It is very true. God is king and we do indeed serve him. We are his servants It's 100% true. And Paul even says in the New Testament, he calls himself often a slave, a slave to Christ. But here's the reality of how God wants to relate to us. His primary goal in his relationship with you and your relationship with him is not as king to servant, as true as that might be. It's an interesting tension. He relates to us, I think, as something better. Let's put up the last one. More biblical concepts. If God is your father, then you are his child. And prayer is about relationship. 
I truly believe, and the New Testament affirms, that the primary way God wants to relate to you and have you relate to him is as father and child. And when we see God that way, prayer is so much better than just asking for things and hoping God will answer. It's actually the daily living out of a relationship. Here's uh, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Listen to those words. He has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. A child has special privileges. A child has access to their parent that nobody else gets to have. Friends, extended family, no one else has that same sort of access as a child because the heart of the parent beats for the child like no one else. Uh, our family was in Mexico a couple weeks ago. We were there for my sister's wedding. She had a destination wedding. We said, oh, shucks, we have to go to Mexico in the winter. So we went down, had a great time. Uh, snorkeling, beach, boat, you know, tacos, all that good stuff. We had a, had a blast celebrating as our little family unit, but also with our extended family and all that. Um, so our family, we, we didn't stay at the beach resort with everyone else. We rented a condo in town because that's a little more our speed, can, more freedom to explore and, and things like that. So um, we just had a blast. But the night before we were scheduled to fly home, so we had a 1 p.m. flight. At midnight, my older son, Jack, walked into our room. He was sharing a room with his brother, Levi. Jack came into our room, woke us up to tell us that Levi was throwing up in the bed. So we spring into help mode, right? Taylor and I, all right, here we go. And we strip the bed and get, the, get Levi, you know, in the bathroom and, and clean him up and clean the bed and do all that and, and uh, spend the night sitting on the couch with him. Now, I'm going to tell you something about my wife. I did not get permission to tell you this ahead of time. <laughs> so I apologize to her. But uh, Taylor does not do well with the vomit. That's not her forte. It's become my forte. And I swear she does this. Like, we have a dog, and I'll come home, and I'll see, like, a pile of dog uh, vomit, and I know she saw it. <laughs> and then I'd say, Taylor, did you see the, the, the vomit? And she's like, no, I didn't see it. All day when I was home. So uh, she just doesn't do well with that. It's, she gets the, the, you know, that thing, and it's not her, not her forte. But when it's her child, she's in it. She's stayed up all night on the couch with him as holding the big Tupperware as he over and over emptied his stomach into that and she'd clean him up. I mean, because the heart of the parent beats for the child like no one else. She would not do that for anyone else. Let me go back to Tim Keller for a moment who has this, said this about our relationship to God, our father. He says, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. If God is my father, then I am his child, and prayer is about relationship. God's desire for you and your relationship with him 
is to be like a father and his child. Now, I know some of you hear that and the anxiety starts to build, or maybe you cringe a little bit because you didn't or don't have a good relationship with your father, your biological father, your dad. I get that, and I know God gets that. But his hope and his heart for you is to experience all the love and joy and access to the best father, the kind of father that would get out of bed in the middle of the night to make sure you have that glass of water that you need, the kind of father who drops everything when you walk in the room, the kind of father who, who showed up to your games and your performances, the kind of father that you can count on the going to him, even if he is our king, doesn't come with fear and anxiety. It comes with love and access. Here's what Paul writes in Romans 8. Listen listen to these words. He says, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. I mean, do you catch those words? The spirit you received does not make you slaves to come in fear to the king, Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. You are his child. Through faith in Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, you are a child who doesn't live in fear of the Father. So if God is your Father, then you are his child. And prayer is about relationship. Prayer is an act of relationship like texting a friend or watching the game with the boys or having that couple over for dinner. Prayer is a natural outworking, a living out of a real relationship with God, the Father. And these sorts of activities have a purpose. Now, you might not say it this way about all the people you spend time with and hang out with, but when we do those normal relationship things with people, spend time or give a call and all that, the the goal of that is intimacy, Knowing them, allowing them to know you in a deeper way. It's intimacy, it's deeper relationship, it's growth, it's vulnerability, being known and knowing. So God's my father, I'm his child, prayer's about relationship. And if the definition I gave about prayer earlier holds true, that prayer is conversation and encounter with the living God, then I would say that the goal of prayer is intimacy with God. Knowing him, allowing him to know you. Here's what James writes in his, uh, his letter, chapter four. He just says these words very simply. Come near to God and he will come near to you. It's relationship, drawing near together, close and love. Uh, Henry Nouwen, he was a priest, professor, author, theologian of the 20th century. He died in 1996. A decade before his death in 1986, he made the decision to move to um, Canada, Ontario, Canada, to be the residential pastor for a, a community called the Daybreak Community. 
And the Daybreak community was an intentional residential community for uh, people with developmental disabilities and uh, others who didn't have developmental disabilities. It was an intentional community. And he went there to be the pastor of that community. Henry Nowen um, is someone who really practiced what we would call incarnational living, which would basically mean being present with people and present with God, moment to moment, real presence. So when he says things about relationship and intimacy and, and, and presence and prayer and things like that, I tend to listen to what he has to say. And he wrote this in a book about prayer. Let me just share these words with you about the intimacy and relational activity of prayer. He says, praying is no easy matter. It demands a relationship in which you allow someone other than yourself to enter into the very center of your person, to see there what you would rather leave in darkness, and to touch there what you would rather leave untouched. Why would you really want to do that? Perhaps you would let the other cross your inner threshold to see something or to touch something, but to allow the other into that place where your most intimate life is shaped, that is dangerous and calls for defense. It's natural defense we might put up. Genuine prayer, as a relationship activity with God, leads us to intimacy, like a father spending time with their child. And with intimacy comes change. It's transformation, we might say. Your life is shaped as your heart is exposed and open to the work of the father. Now, let me pull these threads together. Everything I've said so far, prayer is conversation, an encounter with the living God. Prayer is about intimacy. With intimacy comes transformation. Um, considering that, I'm going to make a statement about prayer and uh, stick with me because you may be like, what, <laughs> after I say this, but stay with me for a second. Here's my statement. Prayer is not about you, kind of. Prayer is not about you, kind of. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean that genuine prayer is not about receiving something from God, getting something from God, a want, a need, whatever. It's not primarily about that. It's about something else. Next week, we're going to look at these verses a little bit more closely as we talk about what prayer looks like. Um, but let me take a quick look, and as I make this point, kind of big picture look at what Jesus says about prayer in the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew. He's teaching his disciples and some other listeners, and he says this about prayer. He teaches his disciples to pray. So in Matthew 6, he says, when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that um, they will be heard by their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask. So he says, like, when you come to prayer, you don't need to be the most eloquent or say the right thing the right way to get something out of God. That's what he says here. Don't heap up empty phrases. You don't have to come with that kind of stuff to God. Because, he says, your father knows what you already need before you ask. So you don't need to do that stuff. Then he says, pray like this. In verse 9, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So next week, we'll dig into these verses a little bit more, take a closer look. But right now, big picture, if you look at how Jesus says, pray like this, I believe what he tells us is that prayer is not about you, kind of. God comes first. You come second. Let me show you another uh, example of my amazing graphic design skills. Boom. I did this one in PowerPoint. (laughs) Jesus teaches us to pray first with God in mind, not us. God comes first. If you look, your name be hallowed, your kingdom come, your will be done. God first, us second. Daily bread, forgive us, lead us. God and his position and will are primary. They come first. Our wants and needs come second. The way Jesus teaches us to pray here is not a formula for effective prayer. He says that in verse seven, right? Don't heap up empty phrases. You don't have to come with this certain like right words and right ritual or any of that stuff. God already knows what you want. When I was in high school, our, our high school ministry and the church spent time on the Lord's Prayer. And I think 20, 25 years ago, um, this sort of teaching was pretty uh, common in the church. It was like, hey, looking at the Lord's Prayer for how you should pray. Um, first, you have to adore God and tell him this. And then once you do that, then you can ask him for stuff because you buttered him up and now he, you know. And that, that's just not... That's just not what Jesus says here. He says, don't do that, actually, in verse 7. He qualifies it when he says that. You don't have to do that. That's actually trying to manipulate God, right? Think about that. He's trying to manipulate him. No, prayer is more beautiful than that. And I think big picture, the Lord's Prayer, what Jesus says here is he teaches us to pray, is an example of the transforming process that our hearts go through as we come to him in prayer And we submit our wants and needs to his will and his vision and who he is. So let me give an example of this from the Bible. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Night before he dies, Judas has betrayed him. They're coming to arrest him. He's about to be hung on the cross, go through that painful, just agonizing death, but also in that have the judgment of sin for all humanity poured out on him. Like that is some pretty extreme stuff that Jesus is about to go through. So he goes off to pray with the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane outside the walls of Jerusalem. And here's what it says. They go into the place called Gethsemane. This is Mark 14. And says to the disciples, sit here, uh, I'm gonna go pray. But he took Peter, James, and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. Like, guys, I'm so upset I I could die. He's going through it. Then he goes a little farther and says, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He's in agony. I'm so, I'm so upset I could drop dead. God, if it's possible, please don't make me do this. But in verse 36, as he prays, he said, Abba, Father. Father. All things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Take this away. Don't make me do this. Yet not what I will, but what you will. It's relationship and intimacy, Abba Father. 
He makes his desire known. God, I've got some stuff I need to ask you. Please don't make me do this. But he submits himself and what he wants and needs to what God's will is. I think if I was to kind of put into words the the thought of what Jesus is saying that maybe we could glean from this is that um, he's saying uh, very generally, I want something, God, but I want what you want more, even if it kills me. And I believe this is where prayer leads us. It's intimacy with your father and with intimacy comes transformation. And when we encounter him and converse with the living God, we open ourselves up to his transforming work of putting our perspective, our wants and needs under his perspective and his will. So when we come to him and we genuinely come to him and put him first, like Jesus shows us in the Lord's Prayer, God first, us second, no matter how urgent the things we're going through and feeling are, like Jesus in Gethsemane, the urgency he was feeling, when we do that, when we come to him, we are actually changed through prayer. So prayer is not about you, kind of. Not about what you want, even though God says, come to me with what you want. It's about the transformation of our hearts that comes from a real relationship with the living God. Paul was in prison when he wrote his letter to the Philippians. And um, I, have to, I have to assume that he's writing from a desperate place. He's been in prison. He doesn't know how, when he's going to be released, how long he's going to be there. Is he going to be executed at the end of his imprisonment? The future's uncertain. There's some urgency to that. There's some feelings that come with that. And I'm sure at times he felt some of the same anxieties that maybe Jesus felt when he was praying in Gethsemane or that we feel, you feel in your life as you come up against hard things. And towards the end of his letter, he writes the words we started this message with. Let me read them again. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He's near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So he says, come to the Lord, right? You've got things you need, you want. Don't be afraid to bring those. We're not saying that about prayer. Yes, we should come to God with what we want, what we need. Remember, he's near. Ask him for what you want with thanksgiving. And then he says, you will experience peace, unexplainable peace. Here's the interesting thing I find. We are not promised results or what we want when we pray. We're not promised that. God doesn't say, come bring your prayers to me and I'll give you what you asked for. I don't even think he says, come to me with what you want and I will answer them in a way you didn't expect, though that often happens. What he says, Paul writes here, is that when you come to God in prayer, you will experience peace, a promised peace, a peace that doesn't make sense. And here we go, that kind of peace can only happen when our will is transformed and oriented to God's will. And we see things from his perspective. 
All our priorities, our anxieties, the urgency we feel for everything going on in your life, and it all comes in line with God's will. And when God's will becomes your will, you will experience peace because you catch a glimpse of things from God's perspective, knowing that no matter what happens in this world, God loves you and he is in control. And that's where prayer brings us, to peace. A peace that comes with transformation. A peace that allows us to say, God, I want something, but I want what you want more, even if it kills me. And you can only get to that place through God's transforming work, which comes with the intimacy that we practice in a relationship to a loving father through prayer. So let me edit my definition that I gave of prayer just a little bit for us. Here's my definition of prayer now. Prayer is conversation and encounter with the living God, which inevitably changes you. If you want a vending machine God, good luck finding one. If you want a Santa Claus God, let me tell you, you're never going to be good enough to get all the things that you ask for, if that's your view. If you want a God who only sees you as a servant, it's going to be hard to find joy. Our God is a father who desires a real relationship with you, his child. And prayer is the natural living out of a relationship with God that changes us. Because through prayer, you deepen your intimacy with the person who holds the universe together. And when we open ourselves up to him and his will, your will and perspective will change and you will start to see things like he sees them. And when that happens, you will experience a peace that doesn't make sense. So that's how I would define prayer. It's a beautiful thing and it's so much more beautiful than just asking God for stuff and hoping he hears me and answers me. Next week, we'll talk more about prayer, how it works. Well, maybe I shouldn't say that. How do we do it? What it looks like? But until then, just remember, prayer is an essential part of a relationship with a loving father. And that will change you. I want to end our time this morning with a prayer. The prayer of um, a man named John Stott. John Stott was a theologian, pastor, and author. He's British. He was known as Uncle John by the people who knew him well. And John Stott, man, he really loved God. There's another author I was reading. His name's Christopher Wright. He wrote about John Stott that people who knew him say he was the godliest man they'd ever met. John Stott, he prayed the same prayer every day, his daily prayer that he, he shared with us, the prayer of his heart. It's a prayer that's not focused on himself, and his wants and needs, but a prayer that's focused on the Lord and intimacy with him and gaining that God-transforming perspective 
that he gives us. And I think if there's someone we can model our praying off of, we could do a lot worse than John Stott. Prayed the same prayer every day. So I'd like to pray uh, part of his daily prayer as we end our time together this morning. So church, I'll ask you to stand and let's close with Uncle John's prayer. And as I pray these words, we say these words, um, grab hold of them. Perhaps it's a model for how we could pray, but maybe it's just a moment where we grab hold of, of this prayer and these words and open ourselves up to God's presence, intimacy, and what he is going to do when we come to him. So church, let's pray. Uncle John's prayer. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I pray that I may live this day in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity, three persons in one God, have mercy upon me. Amen. Amen, church. God bless you. Go in peace. And don't forget to stop by in the annual meeting downstairs. Amen.